Hello and welcome to TransUnion's Business Insights Podcast. My name is Ben Wade and I lead the gaming sector here at TransUnion UK. And today we're discussing the topic, socially responsible gambling amidst a cost of living crisis. And to do so, I'm joined by Luke Sugden, Director of Risk and Safer Gambling at Flutter, Tom Banks, Head of Corporate Affairs at Kindred, Dan Whitlam, Head of Industry Standards at Gamcare, and Roberta Sossi, Senior Credit Consultant at TransUnion. Welcome, everybody. We'll start by way of some introductions. So if you could remind the listeners of your name, role and responsibilities at your respective organisations, that would be brilliant. Luke, we'll start with you. Thanks, yeah. Morning. Uh, so Luke Sugden, uh, Director of Risk and Safe Gambling for Flutter uh, in the UK and Ireland. Um, so I look after working to make every moment safe for our customers across our Paddy Power, Betfair and Skybet and Gaming brands. Brilliant. Thanks, Luke. Tom? Hi, uh, my name's Tom Banks, uh, Head of Corporate Affairs, UK and Global for Kindred Group. My role prominently is focusing on the partnerships that we have with organisations right across the board uh, and raising the, the profile of the work we're trying to do across Kindred Group to reduce uh, harmful gambling uh, and to create a, a healthier debate about betting and gaming uh, in the UK. Fantastic. Dan? Uh, thanks, Ben. My name's Dan Whitlam. I'm Head of Industry Standards at Gamcare. And I lead the kind of industry-facing uh, harm prevention work that Gamcare does. That includes the Safer Gambling Standard, which is like an accreditation scheme where we assess gambling operators. Uh, we do lots of industry training and we also offer other products such as the helpline transfers to the National Gambling Helpline. Fantastic. And then finally, Roberta. Hi, I'm Roberta Sossi. I work in the TransUnion Credit Consultancy team. I support the affordability solutions for gaming, responsible gaming strategies, and I support Ben and his team. Brilliant. Thank you, everybody. So back in June, although it feels like just a couple of weeks ago, uh, the UK Gambling Commission released their most recent customer interaction guidance for social responsibility. So first question, Tom, what do you think are the key takeaways from that guidance for operators? Yeah, I think it's useful to get a level playing field across the sector. And it's something that operators are working really hard to increase the ability that they have, not only to identify harm when they see it, but then to have the best interaction possible to try and reduce risk and reduce harm uh, as quickly as we can. So I think the guidance has been useful in the sense of giving us minimum standards right across the board. I mean, to be honest, most of the stuff that's in there, we were already doing. Uh, and I think what's useful is that it's helping the other operators reach a standard where people are safe, regardless of what platform they play on in the license market. So I think it was useful to see it uh, in one place. I think we're striving to always go beyond and, and, and go further to keep people safe. You know, we've got on Kindred platforms, we've got our innovative uh, player safety early detection system that does a lot of the stuff that's in that guidance and i think yeah. we're always challenging ourselves to to go further uh, and i think yeah it's been a useful indication from the commission and we all want to get to a, a safe and responsible license market here luke anything to, to add to that yeah i agree with a lot of what tom said there i mean the guidance is twice as long as it was before and obviously that's twice as much for us to interpret and implement that's great for the kind of standards of the across the industry but we've had i think 12 weeks or slightly less than the normal 12 weeks from the guidance being issued for time to implement it and it's still very difficult to interpret exactly what's in that and as tom says every operator has gone above and beyond in in different places so for example we've launched that uh, under 25 500 pound 500 euro limits and i think 
not everything in that paper makes sense. So there's some things in there that, in our opinion, aren't necessarily in the customer's best interests. So mm-hmm. um, some of the bonusing pieces in there are, are probably really important, especially around targeted marketing. Um, but then there's some other areas like the offers that are open to all customers and, and taking customers away from some of those very low value, but might be at the detriment to some of those customers. And we're yet to find out. So it'll be an interesting time after we've implemented things uh, like that to really then see the customers like it. Is it actually protecting people? or are people getting annoyed they can't take up bonuses or a bit of both so i think the evaluation part of this will be really interesting to see how different operators have interpreted it um, and, and how it's impacting customers and how it's helping them yeah it'll certainly be a, a very interesting uh, three to six months at least to see how that impacts the uh, players and, and operators alike dan from from your perspective from from gamcare's perspective what has the guidance done what impact has that uh, that had on what you're trying to achieve I think the main thing that that we took away from it was the change from interaction to act. Uh, So they set out kind of three key parts of customer interaction, the identification, now the act and the evaluation. Uh, And I think we've welcomed that change to act as, uh, as part of those kind of three areas. And they've also been quite prescriptive. I appreciate there's still kind of a bit of uh, interpretation, but they've given some quite some quite tailored actions and some suggestions across seven different levels of kind of harm indicators. And yeah, from from our perspective, when kind of we're doing training or we're looking at the safer gambling standard and assessing companies, it's it's really good to have some more prescriptive guidance from the gambling commission, um, so we know what what we should expect to see from gambling operators. Yeah, I think there was a, a view that you know level playing field was absolutely necessary. So as most of the UK is more than aware, we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. You know, inflation is at an all-time high. Energy prices are through the roof. Base rates have increased. Household income is getting squeezed, and and things may well get worse before they get better. We've got some interesting insights to share from our perspective as a, a credit reference agency. But what impact is the cost of living crisis having on operators? I'll fire that one at, at you, Luke. What are you seeing from where you're sat? We are seeing that kind of the customers who get into problems have spent less. Um, okay. So the kind of ARPUs of our customers within the sort of safer gambling world is is reducing, which suggests that those customers are kind of self-adjusting to a certain point. That's been really pleasing to see because we're always concerned that, you know, finances get crunched and then and then yeah. you might see more problems. And I think it yeah. just shows that, that customers do sort of on a broad sense adjust their their spending based on, on what they've got. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly not everyone does that. And we have kind of quite sophisticated models and controls. And, and the good thing about those is they self-calibrate. So yep. sort of so far, so okay. But I think we're early days. And I think it's probably worth pointing out that the customers most impacted by the cost of living crisis are already the customers who are the most squeezed and, yep. and therefore already spent the least with us. So it, it's going to be really interesting what happens over the next kind of year or so. Times like this, customers spend less, so they go out and they eat less, for example. So restaurants mm-hmm. suffer. The takeaways boom because people still want to have a treat. I don't think we really know where where gambling sits in, in that kind of spectrum. But from our point of view, we'll focus on those customers who are most vulnerable and making sure we protect them and continue to protect them. And that's our, that's our number one focus. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Tom, Dan, is there anything you'd, you'd add to that from your perspective? I think it's actually really refreshing to talk about it in this context, you know, in the sense that ultimately for the overwhelming majority of people who do bet, you know, they do it in a responsible way. And, you know, clearly for for a small minority of people, it it can be a problem. But 
ultimately it's better to have a grown-up conversation that yeah where does betting fit in that kind of broader entertainment spend for people at a time when cost of living is in a crunch right so i think that's um that's going to be really interesting as luke said to see where where it falls and we're not necessarily seeing a big uptick in in risky behavior and if anything mm-hmm. we're actually seeing a trend downward so Let's see where that goes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and to a certain extent, we have to trust trust the players, trust the consumers to make good decisions themselves. And obviously, there's a responsibility to to protect them. Uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a balance. Roberta, do you want to share a few trends and, and insights of what we're seeing from from a CRA perspective? Yeah, Ben, sure. So I think definitely a cautious approach, as everyone has discussed earlier. The markers of harm they may be slow to emerge. Unsecured delinquency rates have yet to tick up noticeably um, in response to cost of living stresses, although this can largely be attributed to you know, consumers tightening their belts, as we said earlier, and reducing their discretionary spend, along with the tighter lending policies in place at present. But we are expecting delinquencies to track upwards again on the back of the growing levels of consumer financial distress. And in particular, um, we're seeing an increase in debt to income amongst its the lowest income brackets, so the people that can least afford additional pressures. And with these current pressures, we expect to see potential demand for credit amongst the lower income segments and subsequent need for short-term unsecured credit. Mm-hmm. So this could manifest itself in not only people borrowing to fill the gaps to fund you know, the basics that they need in their life, but potentially even that creeping into funding you know, lifestyles and, and other types of spend further down the line. Um, yeah, so we're seeing fall in discretionary spend and consumers have been aggressively reducing spend across all expenditure types this translates directly to falling credit card utilisation stats. We've also got some interesting stats from the TransUnion Consumer Pulse surveys that we run every quarter. So in the last quarter, where we've got a lot of good, good read on what's going on with the consumers, back in June, 52% said that they are cutting back on discretionary spend and many are also digging into their excess savings. Right. But um, this could be just, a, again, a temporary piece because, as we all know, through COVID, we were forced to save due to our inability to spend. Mm-hmm. So potentially, some of the worst stresses are, are getting sort of kicked further down the year, as it were. Um, but we think that you know the ability to keep eating into this pot is is not really going to sustain consumers beyond the rest of this year. Also, wage growth is not keeping pace with inflation. So with wages falling real terms since Jan, expected to continue falling through to Q3. And as we get to the critical point, um, I think everyone's talking about the October price cap increase. A lot of people are obviously dreading that because the figure seems to change every time we, we look at the media or look at the, the reliable sources. We expect that's going to really impact consumers. So we have a, a stress model that we run every quarter. When we ran it back in June, 2.1 million newly stressed consumers we identified with zero disposable income. So that was applying the the payment increases that were applicable back in June. So inflation, um, Bank of England base rate increase and the, the energy prices increase. We think when we get to October, this figure could grow to 2.8 million. So that's newly stressed consumers. And again, particularly the October energy price cap is going to have a big impact. Mm-hmm. Although I think there is a, a demographic we see bucking the trend and that's Generation Z. So our 18 to 25 year olds, okay. um, we see them potentially increasing spend 
driving greater demand for unsecured credit. Although Jen said applicants typically are vulnerable, lowest income earners. And again, we know that operators do treat that demographic very differently to the rest of their customers in terms of a lot more cautious approach, very sensible limits. Although ONS figures show that 60% of this demographic, they're living at home and potentially could be shielded from primary cost of living increases things like rent and, and energy. So in summary, Ben, not completely unexpected. Um, yes, we see people tightening their belts, potential slowdown in spend, but I think the very vulnerable people, when the impact starts to hit um, even further, there could be other behaviours that could manifest itself in terms of um, vulnerabilities, stresses, etc. And we will you know, continue to monitor this towards the end of the year and beyond. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Question for you, Dan. You know, in light of of those insights and what we're seeing, and are you seeing any any impacts of the cost of living crisis in terms of customer interactions, the the treatment strategies that that you're implementing? Have you seen a, an uptick in in vulnerable players or, or stressed players? What are you seeing from your perspective? I guess from a, a GAM care perspective, we're seeing an impact on the National Gambling Helpline. I've not really got any hard data, but you know, hearing yeah you know, a lot more from from callers around the cost of living uh, crisis and kind of increasing bills and uh, a lack of funds for gambling, if you like. We're hearing quotes around, you know, they're gambling to to make extra money to cover bills. We've seen a, a much higher proportion of repeat callers, which would mean that they're potentially relapsing, um, you know, coming back to their helpline multiple times where they've tried to get support uh, previously and those increasing costs have made it hard for people to kind of make their debt payments um, and they're kind of getting further into debt rather than uh, working their way through that and um, getting back to a good place. I was just going to come in. I think that's where the white paper potentially presents a really powerful opportunity to get this right. I think Um you know, organisations like TransUnion can give us a really good indication of the customer's financial profile. But there's obviously conversation about how much more information we can get as operators from agencies to be able to give us a really, really clear financial picture. Uh, and I think the more that we can share good data like that between operators and organisations like TransUnion combined with our own kind of risk and behavioural profiling that we do in terms of looking at where the customer is this kind of crisis just reaffirms kind of how important it is that we get that right when it comes to the white paper that you know some of the sort of potential talk of the government looking at ways in which we can increase the amount of data we can get on a financial perspective um is so important uh, mm-hmm. to keep people to keep people safe yeah so I guess the next topic with the white paper coming down down the road, uh, you know, increased regulation around affordability and social responsibility, there, there's bound to be more barriers, more touch points, more interactions that a player has to go through. Uh, and considering that the vast majority of the players are, are playing sustainably and are playing within the means, Luke, how do you think operators can best balance social responsibility and customer experience? It's it's such a hard balance from kind of where we were a few years ago and all the new regulations that we that we've had to comply with, but also all the 
um, things that we've done ourselves for customers to then kind of make it part of the customer journey is really hard to just kind of normalize these sorts of checks, things like affordability and asking customers about how they can afford what they're spending. Um, It's not something that customers are keen on. Um, We did a really good bit of research last year of our customers to ask them like what they thought about affordability checks and the large majority of them thought that affordability checks were a good thing and we should do more of them. But then when we asked them about themselves, the vast majority of them said it wasn't for them. They said, well, I don't need one. It's not for me. No. And when we asked about the levels at which affordability checks should take place, they almost universally came back and set a level that was just slightly above the kind of levels that they were playing at. Mm-hmm. I think we've got a real job on our hands to try to integrate it with the the, the journeys and the sites that we that we have so that it feels natural for customers. Mm-hmm. So it's not kind of you open an account and then, oh, there's these limits over here or you spend some money and then there's these checks over here. Our job is to try and do that well um, and, and make it sort of seamless and normal for customers. But how customers react to that, that's the challenge. And it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big one, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, have, have Kindred mastered that yet? Have they got the, the balance exactly right? I don't think anyone really now in the industry is saying that affordability isn't going to play a key role in uh, in keeping players safe in the future. I think it's about how we make sure that customer experience is key. Uh, you know, we know from our own work that you know there's only really around ten percent of the consumers that we ask uh, are willing to sort of give us that documentation, whether that's pay slips or bank statements or whatever. So we know that people don't like doing it. And so there really needs to be a solution, in our view, that blends, you know, the financial element of affordability with the the risk profiling and the behavioural profiling. It's such a massive opportunity to get a full, clear picture of a of a player in the round. Uh, so I think that's that's really really important that we look at it in context and that kind of seamless journey without loads of bumps in the road requiring documents. That's not only better for the customer, but it actually is about kind of harnessing the advances that we've made in technology and data. You know, we don't need to be giving a bad customer experience here. We know that we've got the ability, the technology and the data to to do this in a really seamless way that, that gives the customer the best experience and keeps them in the, the regulated market, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there will be an emphasis um, in the white paper when it is released uh, uh, around these checks being non-intrusive, right? Because it's it's about protecting people, you know, protecting the most financially vulnerable, financially stressed. Um, also, you know, the non-financial vulnerabilities that were disclosed in the guidance. But if we can if we can assess and prevent those individuals from from gambling harm as early in the customer journey as possible, but not impact the other 95% of players, then then really that that's the right balance and it should be a, a win-win from both sides. Dan or Roberto, have you got anything that you'd, you'd want to add to getting that balance right and, and potentially the best way operators can, can go about doing that from what you've seen? I think a, a key thing when, when balancing kind of that social responsibility and customer experience is actually kind of the culture from the top, you know, and that buy-in from C-suite uh, and how they kind of structure the business, how they hold those conversations, you know, what the governance uh, is around kind of safer gambling conversations and how they kind of invest and prioritise uh, safer gambling and compliance. Uh, so to see that kind of more embedded uh, definitely kind of supports that that balance. 
Dan, from from your perspective, obviously you you are looking at this from a uh, quite a unique perspective. In your experience and the time that you're spending across the sector, how are the scales balanced between social responsibility and customer experience at the moment? You know, has the pendulum swung way in the distance of player protection, and there's a disregard for for customer experience, or are operators still predominantly focused on? Uh, that customer experience, revenue generation, and, and social responsibility is a little bit of an afterthought. I mean, the pendulum's definitely swinging. Um, you know, I think there's clearly a, a bigger and bigger expectation that the player protection and safer gambling need to be kind of central to everything that a gambling operator does. Clearly, the regulation is changing rapidly. Obviously, from a GAMCAF perspective, and particularly a harm prevention perspective, we will always strive and push you know, to raise standards. Whilst we do see some, some really good best practice, we are still seeing some kind of quite poor practice um, in some operators and kind of we're working with them through the safer gambling standard or through training to really raise understanding and upskill their teams and and the business in terms of what we'd expect to see, including sharing some of that best practice to to kind of assist them. Good stuff. All right. So I guess the final question then, and you know, once the white paper has been released and the interaction guidance has been developed and updated, and, and I guess this minimum standard for affordability and social responsibility has been set, the dust is settled. What do you think will be the next big challenge for operators to overcome? Luke, maybe uh, maybe you can you can take that difficult one. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Um, I mean, I, like the first thing on that is like, uh, when is the dust going to settle? I think is 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 a big question at the moment. We don't really know um, when we're going to see, you know, white paper, etc. Hopefully this year. There are some other things that we haven't talked about today that we've sort of nearly touched on. One of them is we are running a pilot with the Banking Gaming Council on how we can share more data in particular, uh, how we can share data on um, known problem gamblers across the industry. Um, And that's probably an area where we, you know, we'd like there to be less dust, less uncertainty, and maybe a little bit more relaxed timeframes for implementing things so that we can keep focus on projects like that. So the the kind of data sharing project we're working on um, with other operators, it's tough it's really hard we're working with the ico uh, the information commissioner's offices as well there's a whole load of hurdles to go through uh, and it's it's a really challenging project but really interesting one and one that should be really good for customers um an example all operators interact with their customers and we find customers who've, who've got problems you know and they, they tell us they admit it they 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 contact us we contact them both ways but we find out and when we do we take action and, and depending on you know the severity generally we, we will be responsible and we don't want that player's business and we will suspend their account but there's nothing in place you know this gam stop if they proactively do it but there's nothing in place to stop them going to another operator if they don't want to they yeah. don't want to go through gam stop so one of the things we're doing is you know actually it's the ICO the Banking Game Council several operators and gam stop are working together on how we can strengthen that and we're looking at whether you know when we identify customers definitely got a problem you know they've told us they've admitted it you know they're, they're seeking help um, how we can share that data between us as operators so that um, we can prevent them from from going to other people's sites so it's almost sort of um, acts a bit like GAMSTOP but um, you know we we use the, the the evidence that we've got and the knowledge that we've got about that customer and we share that more mm-hmm. and, and give it to other operators so they can also um, stop that player from registering 
there's lots of issues like that for us to, to get over the line. That means it's it's difficult um, and time consuming. Um, but for example, where we know you're you're highly vulnerable, or um, you know where you know you've got a problem, I think there is more we can do. And trying to get over that hurdle of how we do that, I think that that's one of the big challenges. And my hope is that if we have to change our focus to other things, of course we will. If it's it's regulation or it's the right thing to do, but yeah. um, so that's certainly something something for us to continue focusing on. Dan, have you got anything that you want to add on that? Uh, yes. Yeah, so an area we see uh, when we're out reviewing operators under the safety grounding standards where, you know, that it is a challenge and probably operators could do uh, a bit more on is, is collaboration. And I get that kind of the Bet and Game Council do some good stuff, particularly between uh, the larger operators. Uh, but in terms of kind of sharing best practice across the industry and, and using that to drive up standards i guess that's probably not quite where we like to see it and yeah we we acknowledge that we've probably got a role in that too given our kind of view across the industry and we're looking to kind of facilitate that as well in the best way we can um so we are actually looking at some form of of industry event over over the next kind of six months possibly around ice next year to 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 bring operators together and really kind of explore the different collaboration opportunities uh, between different gambling companies. Fantastic. It's, it's really good to hear from Dan um, that that's kind of the ambition. I think where it can be frustrating from an operator's perspective is when some of the debate is not based in reality and it's kind of very kind of, yeah, it's, it's not fact-based. It's kind of uh, emotional quite often. And ultimately, we all want to get to the same place, right? And, and Dan's absolutely right that, you know, anything that can bring organizations that want to achieve the same goal together is really important. You know, yep. and it's about having that kind of grown-up debate and grown-up conversation to get us all there. And Dan's point's absolutely right that we need to collaborate and work in a kind of adult grown-up environment to get there because we all want the same thing, which yep. is lower and then zero harmful gambling across the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, that brings us to the end of our conversation. So Tom, Luke, Dan and Roberta, thank you so much for your time today. And to those that are listening, thanks for joining us. Um, if you want to learn more about how TransUnion support the gaming sector, then please visit www.transunion.co.uk forward slash industry forward slash gaming. So that's all for now. Goodbye. This podcast was produced by TransUnion, a global insights and analytics company. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of TransUnion, and TransUnion is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. Mm-hmm.